2: welcome back to the podcast today uh, my guest is ross brennan with strategic wealth specialists welcome ross thanks for having me gary so t- tell us uh some about yourself
1: how you got to, to where you are now and and what made you become an advisor well something you'll not be able to tell on the podcast audio or zoom but i'm six foot eight and so i <laughs> i'm a tall drink of water as they say um so uh, actually, I played uh, I played football in college at Florida State University and stayed here in Tallahassee afterwards, and uh, I was a client of the firm, uh, and then uh, I, I've kind of always been financially minded. I uh, hope that doesn't come off cocky, and they said, hey, come work with us, and that was 11 years ago, and here I am today.
2: Nice. So, so when you first started in the industry, you started with the company you're with now
1: correct which you know yeah so that probably a lot of people are kind of career with one per one group a lot of people kind of hop around to each their own there's obviously different models and so i've been with this company and um really you know our philosophy i I, am just a big believer in and uh and and so there's just a lot of things that i see where improvements can be made in the financial services arena unfortunately there tends to be not the greatest reputation with financial advisors. Right. And, and so hopefully I can, at least with the people I work with help cure that ill, if it shall we say.
2: Right. Now uh, tell us, I mean, strategic wealth specialist is not just located in, in Tallahassee.
1: Now we've got offices from new Orleans all the way to Tampa. Uh, I don't even know how many advisors we have now. Um, and so we're we're a growing firm. It, it didn't start it was hasn't always been that big. And the firm's been it's been around for over 40 years. Okay. So um so it's been uh, it's been really uh, really successful. Worked with thousands of clients over multiple decades. We've we've seen what works and what doesn't work, and we like to pride ourselves on that. Great. Right. So
2: what, did, what about financial advising, you know, is what what about it really gets you up and gets you going in the morning?
1: I think there's a lot of things out there that the public, quite frankly, is, uh, you know, dare I say, misinformed. I don't think anyone's lying to anybody. I just don't know that the whole truth has always been being told. Um, right. You know, kind of one of the big things that I talk about a lot is rate of return. Now, rate of return is a very sexy thing to talk about. I like to talk about it. I'm sure you like to talk about it. We all want it. We have to get a rate of return on our money. But the dirty little secret, dare I say, is that rate of savings is actually more important than rate of return. Mm -hmm. For example, Warren Buffett says the number one habit to acquire is the habit of thrift, i.e. be a saver. So, you know, it's important that we save a, a very large percentage of our income as much as we can. Obviously get a rate of return on it, but sometimes people chase rate of return because they were poor savers. If right. you're a good saver, you don't have to chase for return unless you want to. Okay.
2: What you know? You've been doing this for a while now. What is it that you know now you wish you knew when you first started out?
1: Uh, what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I I wish when I was 21 years old right. or 23 years old, because I mean, I, I mean, I I made some good money before I came in this industry, and. I wasn't the saver that I should have been. I was probably more of a speculator and an investor, an investor and a speculator a little bit, and not realizing um, there, there, there's a lot of power in having a large amount of liquidity. It gives you options. Right. And when I was young, I thought I knew it all, like every young kid does, and I didn't. And so, so I, I think that's one of, one of the critical things
2: What are some of the questions you wish that, that, you know, your clients would ask when you're, when you're first meeting
1: with them? Um, is, uh, let's see, is common knowledge that common? And is it knowledge? Right. (laughs) Uh, you know, you know, typically what we think is just kind of a no brainer in finance. It isn't always that way. When you peel the onion back, there's always more to the story. So I like to talk about like, um, You know, the 401k, I like to pick on the 401k. It's the sacred cow of finance, the retirement account. And, you know, it's just one of those things that there's just so much misinformation about and people think, you know, it's the panacea. And and typically speaking for most people, the 401k account is not going to be enough money for retirement for someone. Uh, It was really designed to layer on top of other things, pension, social security. Uh, But it's kind of evolved in this thing where, where if you don't contribute as much as humanly possible, then you're an idiot. And I I don't know that that's accurate. Um, Also, one of the things which I know you could speak to is tax deferral. I am vehemently anti tax deferral. Mm -hmm. I think deferring taxes in the current environment we are in is very likely a large mistake, Uh, I believe. Uh, that we are in probably the lowest tax rates we're going to see for many, many decades. Uh, I obviously could be wrong, but I think the evidence is probably on my side and I've yet to meet a CPA who does not agree with me. Um, But, you know, that's the one thing about predictions. They're never right. They're always wrong. It's just questions in what direction and how by how much. Um, So I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be deferring tax. And obviously, Many times retirement accounts are tax deferred. So I, a lot of people, in my experience, don't understand how the tax code works. They don't understand how marginal tax rates work, how effective tax rates work, how money taken out of a retirement account is taxed. And when you lay it out to them, it, it's not always the uh, the answer isn't always the same. It, it kind of goes back to, you know we tend to make decisions in a vacuum with blinders on. Mm -hmm. instead of taking a broad look and looking at things from a macroeconomic perspective, it's like, it's like throwing a rock in the pond and only focusing on the splash and not focusing on the ripple effects. Right. So, and I find when people make decisions macroeconomically, many times they're different than if they were making them microeconomically.
2: Yeah. I think that, um, you know, you, you definitely hit on some, some good points there. I mean, with everything that's happened with the pandemic and all of the money that's been given out tax-free, this bill needs to be paid someday. Um, so it's just, you know, when, when are the tax rates going to go up is, is really the question. Um, you know, we're definitely at a historic low uh, when it comes to, to tax rates. So, um, you know, and with, with the current administration that we have, they're saying rates are going up. So we'll have to, we
1: and see well, what happens. Well, I, I actually make the statement. I said, I tell people, it's not a political statement. I don't care if you're Republican right. or Democrat. I agree. I and agree. I don't care who's in office, Republican or Democrat. Rates are going to go up. It's yep. a math issue. Now, obviously, there are some people out there pushing for uh, some policies where the debt does not have to get paid off. And, you know, that's a different topic for a different day. I, I don't buy into that. And um, I think the bill has to come due although we've been pretty good at kicking the can down the road. Uh, uh, I, I think the political rhetoric, rhetoric is very easy to stoke the flames, and I think you're going to get higher tax rates sooner rather than later. And, and they're coming in, a, in like five years anyway, just because of the sunset of the Trump tax cuts, but I think they're coming even sooner.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think our our, you know, we don't have a can anymore. I think it's more of a barrel that, is being kicked down the road and, and something's going to, going to change soon. It's just, um, you'd win. So what are some of the, the common mistakes that you are seeing, um, you know, clients make, you know, before they come in and talk to you?
1: Well, I, I see, I see a couple of things. Uh, well, I see a handful of things, obviously savings rate, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, not adequately being protected. Uh, that could be something as, uh mundane as auto insurance uh not having the right liability coverages it could be not having the appropriate amount of other types of insurance um but one of the big ones to go along with the tax conversation is something i call tax diversification so um you know when you when i typically meet someone they're very heavy in tax deferred accounts as a percentage of their wealth Mm -hmm. especially if you set aside their house Um, and, and what I try to do is to diversify the taxes and try and as close to a third, third, a third, get money in tax-free, uh, tax taxable and tax deferred. And, uh, it, it's kind of hard to do when you're older, obviously, unless there's some Roth conversions going on, but you know, steering money into taxable and tax-free, uh, is a, is a little more advantageous, especially tax-free, uh, than, uh, than, than tax deferred.
2: Right. Right. And, I mean, I agree with that because, uh, especially with the tax deferred, because so many times, you know, people have just been, you know, putting away in, uh, you know, uh, tax deferred savings. And then when they come of age, they have to start taking, you know, the money out through their RMDs and they don't have cash any other place but there. And they're not able to do a lot of things that they want because they don't have the available cash. But then when they got to take those RMDs, they're pretty large, and and they get beaten up pretty bad on taxes when they do that.
1: I talked with someone probably 9, 12 months ago. They they had a, uh, a nice nest egg, um, and I'm not exaggerating, 90% of it was in tax-deferred money. Oh. And, and the interesting thing was they retired early. Wow. And so they're they're in their mid fifties, and um, and of course you know let's say they had five million dollars. Uh, reality is they don't have five million dollars. Right? right. They've got about three point seven five million dollars, or or whatever the tax rate is, um, and they didn't realize that. And, and and but we were having a conversation, and and they thought everything was hunky dory based on some assumed rates of return that their advisor told them. I was like, well, that's fine you can assume that rate of return. I said, quite frankly, I'd rather assume a lower rate of return and right. be wrong and get a higher rate of return than assume a higher rate of return and be wrong and get a lower rate of return. Right. And so we, we, but you know, they didn't quite see the, uh, the challenges of the tax deferred account. And for so long when these kings came out, the highest rate was 70%. And during the Carter and Reagan years for so long, you were told you're gonna be a lower tax bracket. Well, that was a legitimate statement if the tax rate stayed the same previously. But uh, tax rates move, um, as you know. And uh, and what I actually find is my my most successful clients typically are in higher tax brackets. And most of my clients don't want to take their RMDs because they don't need the money. right? And so that's a challenge now. Uh, it looks like they're probably going to exp- do Secure Act 2.0 and probably extend the RMDs another three years, which I think is a good thing, but uh, we'll see what happens. How
2: do you, so when somebody comes into you and, you know, your person has got, you know, 90% of their their nest egg is in, um, you know, tax-deferred accounts, how, you know, and, and you're pointing this out to them. And, I mean, so lots of times this is going to be the first time anybody's ever pointed this out to them. How do you help calm their fears at that point? Because they, they, they got to be terrified once they know that they're getting ready to get clobber of taxes.
1: Well, it, it, the challenge is, is, one, you have to be very truthful. And I, I, I'm pretty upfront with clients. So of course, I, I'm not like a jerk, but I'm pretty upfront with about it. But if they have a good CPA who can do tax planning mm-hmm. and maybe there's Roth conversions available – then that's a strategy to kind of unwind this to a degree. I don't know, Gary, you might know a CPA who does tax planning. Um, (laughs) So, But those are the conversations we have. It's like, okay, you've got to get in front of a new CPA who's telling you how to unwind this because this is not something we can fix overnight. We've got to deal with this uh, over a number of years. And when I work with someone, like these people – they were uh, parents of a friend of mine, and they had another advisor, and they thought he was um, amazing, and I'm sure he was a great guy, but uh, it, we, weren't, we just weren't a good fit together, and, and that's okay. I'm not a good fit for everyone. Everyone's not a good fit for me, same as it, is for, as it was for you, and so when I work with someone, you know, we got to make sure we're a good fit. Oil and water doesn't work, uh, and we got to make sure that, you know, I, I got to make sure they're open-minded to hearing different things because typically they are going to hear, um, different things. Um, if, if they think conventional wisdom is, is the only thing that works, then I'm probably not the guy for them and that's okay. There's plenty of people out there.
2: Right. So, um, you know, we're, we're, I don't want to say we're coming to the end of the pandemic cause we're not even, even close, but it seems like things are starting to open up. Um, but going into the pandemic and and going through this, I mean, what were some of the challenges, you know, that you were facing in, you know, whatever acquiring clients or just being able to, you know, stay in touch with your clients, you know, if you weren't able to, to, to see each other in person.
1: Well, 90% of my clients are spread out all over the nation. So I've got about 10% of my clients in my local community. Um, I have one client who, Owned several daycare businesses in my town. And he was, he's a very, very successful man, but he, um, he it was a challenging year for him. But I have a lot of uh, clients who are dentists or orthodontists, endodontists, paradontists who own their own practice. And what I—what you've seen in the dental world is they were shut down for six to eight to 12 weeks, depending on what state they were in. But the pent-up demand was so strong that all of them finished the year uh, flat or better than the year before, uh, and then they had 2021, uh, where uh, so far, they're all trending even higher, so I don't know if the coronavirus does something to your teeth, but uh, <laughs> it sure seems like it.
2: Right, right. Um, tell us, I mean, you know, th- there's, you know, many different types of financial advisors out there there's you know the the uh, internet-based places that you can invest money and things like that uh, tell our listeners why is it important to use uh, a professional like you to help with with their
1: investing needs so you have like those internet points you're talking about like the betterments the wealth fronts what they call the robo advisors right and uh, you know there's a certain segment of people that that's a good fit for uh, in my experience and, and, and kind of here's the breakdown of the financial service industry. You have what I call the investment only people to give an example. That would be like a Merrill Lynch or Raymond James or Ever Jones. Okay. You have a, a very insurance heavy side, which might be a Northwestern mutual New York life uh, maybe even a mass mutual or, or even some independent people in there. And then you have, um, you know, and typically in my experience, it's kind of like, it's, one loves investments hates insurance one loves insurance hates investments and, and i personally feel like it isn't an either or conversation i think it's a both and conversation because you need them both and so what i try to do with my practice is i try and do comprehensive financial planning where we're looking at everything mm-hmm. you know even like, like i said earlier car insurance i'm not a licensed car insurance agent i'm looking at legal documents auto insurance property and casualty insurance Life, disability, long-term care, health, cash flow. We do a lot of cash flow modeling, uh, retirement planning, all that stuff. Exit planning if you're a business owner. We we do all that, and we we make sure everything is integrated together. But when we work with investments, it's my experience that human beings typically are not wired to be good investors. We tend to be very emotional, and a guy like Warren Buffett is emotionless, okay? Okay. You have to be emotionless to buy when there's blood in the streets, to sell when everyone's buying, to buy when everyone's selling. And that's what he does. And he, I mean, mm-hmm. if you read about him, he is fairly unemotional. Um, and so when, when I help clients invest money, I'm there to be their coach, to help them emotionally manage the ups and downs of the market. Because on every year the markets on average are gonna lose 15% at some point during the year mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll come back. but a lot of people uh a lot of people just they make bad decisions they buy high and sell low i know one couple they sold their 401k at the bottom in march of 2009 mm-hmm. as of today 12 years later it's still in cash oh that's a 6x return lost item right. right and so this is why we have to make sure that we're invested in an allocation that suits our personality. How much volatility can we manage and to make sure we understand how markets work and to make sure you have someone uh, kind of holding your hand for the process. If you don't need that and you got it all figured out, then then you don't need me. Maybe, maybe Betterman or Wealthfront works for you and that's great. Um, but most people are, are not... Uh, wired for better mental wealth front, in my experience right i you know
2: i think you know you hit it on the head earlier when you said that that you're there to help coach right. and and you know i feel the same way it's like you know we're constantly teaching and constantly coaching and, and many times talking people off the ledge um you know and, and helping them manage the the emotion side of things um from you know tax bills to, 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 you know, the, the, what the market's doing. Um, so when, when, when you're picking somebody that you want to help coach with these investments, I mean, what's, what's that ideal client look like for you?
1: Uh, typically, you know, they are a business owner at some level, you know, like whether it could be a dentist who owns their own practice. If they're not a business owner, you know, typically they're a higher income individual, um it's typically probably someone over a half a million dollar income is typically who most of the clients are if they're you know shall we say w-2 employees but a a business owner i find myself uh working with a lot because there's just more opportunities to help them if you're a business owner you have more moving parts if you're a w-2 employee you have plenty of moving parts especially if you're high income w-2 employee but there are um you're limited to some to some degree um so they need to be uh typically a good saver um and they need to be coachable and and have an open mind about things that they're probably they've never heard of before uh and so those are typically the kind of the the core values or the core characteristics of people that i work with
2: so what you know if, if somebody's you know right now you know you 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 talked about the couple that um, you know that kind of cashed out and put put everything in cash in, in back in 2009 if you have somebody like that how how do you try to coach them out of that um, because it seems like they're terrified to put anything back in the market
1: well they are um, they are obviously someone who does not manage volatility well right uh, and, and this is an older couple who watches the news a lot which isn't really good for your uh right believing in markets uh, you know the dow is down 100 points and they're acting like it's in the, the world and like what percentage does that again like 0.2 right. point, point come on people um so it's um you know you just have to kind of you gotta work with them you gotta say hey you know we have to get a rate of return on, on our money inflation is real right and it's obviously picking up um your money is going backwards if it's in cash and your life expectancy uh, for, for two people in your mid sixties, w- there's a very high probability one of you is going to live in your nineties. And so we, we've got to, it, and so it's just conversations like that where you, I mean, to kind of walk them through, through this.
2: So going through, um, you know, different, dealing with different clients, um, different backgrounds, things like that. What is something that you've, that you've picked up from one of your clients that, um, you know, kind of every time you talk to somebody, you remember it and kind of, kind of brings you back to, to center?
1: Well, I, I think the, the thing that I think a lot of people may, may not realize is, is there's really only about four ways to get rich in this country, in my, in my opinion setting aside, being an entertainer or an athlete, you know, starting a business and growing a business is probably the number one way to become wealthy. Taking a company public is another way. Getting a fortune 500 golden handcuff is another way. So those, those last two are pretty slim pickings of people who do that. And then real estate entrepreneurship. So the wealthiest people I've ever met either started and built a business or they were real estate entrepreneurs. Those are the wealthiest people I've ever met. Um, So if someone really wants to go to the next level financially, that's probably one of the two things that they should consider doing. At the same time, we live in a culture where it's like, you know, let me go start this mobile app and then go public uh, with it a year later and become a billionaire at 24 years old. Well, that's not real life. No. Um, And so the reality is we wanna get rich slowly and uh, you know, h- how much perspective does someone have who becomes a billionaire at 24 years old? Right. I-, I don't know that they have a lot. Maybe they do. And so, we want to find out. Like, okay, you signed a multi-million dollar contract, Mr. Professional Athlete. Well, your professional career is typically not going to be that long. Right. So, how much money do you have when you're 70? What does your family look like? So, money money is nothing more than a tool. But we idolize it, and it can ruin us. And it honestly it exposes what what you have inside of you. So, you give any of us ten million dollars today, if we have uh, if we have good inside of us, you're going to see that come to fruition with money. If we have bad, uh, it, it's 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 going to come to fruition. So, you know, money is amoral. You know, it's always misquoted that uh, money is the root of all evil. That's not the quote. It says the love of money is a root of all evil. And so, as long as you view it in the right context, it is merely a tool that allows you to do something. Yes, I'd love to have a billion dollars. I'd love to have a private jet. As a guy who's 6'8", flying commercial, not <laughs> the most comfortable. Right. I'd love to have a G5, $50 right. million dollar plane for those of you keeping score at home, um, but it's not the end of the world. And so, you know, I, that's why I like to kind of make sure expose myself and my family to people in need. Like, you know, a few years ago, I took my daughter to Peru we were in the jungles of Peru and a, in a little village where they bathed in the river mm-hmm. and they just got electricity like a year earlier.
2: Right.
1: So, I mean, you know, it, it, it was in December. We did that and she, and she didn't ask for much when we came home for Christmas. Yeah. So, so, and so it, that that's the one thing I've noticed. It's like with money, you meet with someone who makes 50K, you meet with someone who makes 5 million. Money is all relative. Right. It's all relative. What's a lot to someone who makes 5 million is not a lot to someone who makes 50 million. What's a lot to someone who makes 50,000 is not a lot to someone who makes 500,000. Right. And so it's all relative.
2: Yeah, I agree. So with, what's a question I haven't asked you that you wish that that I had?
1: I'm sure my wife would have a really good a really good <laughs> answer right here. Man, <laughs> may, may well one I may not like. Right, exactly. Uh, so, you know, I just... Well, this is kind of, it's not really a question. It's just kind of a comment. I just think there's a lot of, a lot of areas where people, I think a lot of areas, I think a lot of people probably think they're getting true financial planning mm-hmm. when they're really just getting advice on one section of their financial life. And, and the reality is, is you want someone who can be like a coordinator to help connect everyone for example, the, the investment advisor probably isn't talking to the accountant about tax loss harvesting right. and the property and casualty agents not talking to the attorney about liability limits and the life insurance agent is probably not talking to the uh, attorney about uh, beneficiary designations and things like that. But if you can get all those people in one room, not necessarily in one room, that's not going to be possible. But if you can have them all connected and make sure everything is coordination, I think there's power in coordinating all your assets. And everything, I think there is a tremendous lack of coordination in personal finance today. Uh, we live in a culture that has become more busy than ever. If you ask somebody, it used to be, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Ask them now, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Right. You now, not everyone's busy. Everyone just thinks they're busy. Um, but that's besides the point. We have to make sure everything we have is coordinated. And we have to make sure that regardless of what happens, our plan works. Yeah. So if I die prematurely from X, Y, or Z, does my family's plan work? If I become disabled, does my family's work plan work? If I get divorced, does my plan work? If my spouse dies, does my plan work? If I lose a job, does my plan work? And so we have to make sure, because we live in a world where crap happens. Something bad's going to happen. The question is, how bad is it going to be? Is it going to be a fender bender? Or is it going to be... Someone died. Yeah. Hopefully it's just a fender bender, but we got to make sure we're prepared no matter what.
2: Yeah, I mean I agree with you. I mean you know, play football. You know, you know, you're the quarterback. You know, you want to make sure that you have all the right members of the team around for people because if everybody is talking, again, when something does happen, and if you know something were to happen to you, and you know your wife's not the finance person, that's really not her her thing if all the team members are around knows what's going on, they're able to help her. Um, you know, and I, I think that that's something that's that's really, really important that a lot of people don't do. That's for yep. sure. So if our listeners like what they're hearing um, and they want to, want to reach out to you, how, how best to get, get in touch with you.
1: Just go to my website, Ross R O S S B R A N N O N.com. There's a, you can click a schedule time to talk to me on the website. Uh, and from there, we can have a conversation and see see if there's a mutual interest. Great. So
2: I really appreciate your time today. Um, our guest today on the show has been Ross Brennan with Strategic Wealth Specialists. Uh, we appreciate your time, Ross.
1: Thanks, Gary.
0: This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial. And opinions stated are their own. Material discussed is meant for general information purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor at Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License number 16139032. California Insurance License number 0L10073. 2021 Expiration 0723. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For
2: more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.